Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 1. That's where our scripture will be found this morning. It'll be Matthew uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 18. I think you'll find some familiar uh, verses here. Here's a reading. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that's a fancy word for being engaged, uh, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Merry Christmas. If you will, pray with me. Father God, we thank you this morning for uh, the chance and the opportunity to come here to worship you, to encounter you in in a real and powerful way. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. And as we learn a little bit more about who you, the name of Jesus is, who the person of Jesus is, we thank you for loving us so much to come and, and, and be uh, uh, a savior among us. Father, we ask that you would be powerful in our midst this morning, both here at this place and in the homes of everyone watching. Lord, would you fill them up? We, we, we acknowledge your presence and we ask you to move in us, stir in us. Lord, open our ears and our minds and our heart to receive the gospel this morning. Lord, I pray a special blessing on Mike as he delivers that today. Lord, anoint him, give him the power uh, to to make your name famous. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right, and you can be seated. All right, you guys did it. Uh, We are in the seventh uh, sermon in the series called What We Believe, and and we are teaching you uh, the essential truths of the Christian faith, and then we're trying to land heavily on why that matters to us today. So last week we discovered that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God, and this is important because God makes a promise to His people that He will send us a Savior, and that's what we're going to look at today, the fulfillment of that promise. We're going to talk about how God came into human history as the man, Jesus Christ. Now on uh, April 11, 2014, uh, Sheila and I became grandparents. Uh, many of you know uh, Synovia. Look at her. Isn't she precious? If, if you guys can see that screen. Uh, I remember Daniel uh, holding Synovia in the hospital room for the first time. And, it just, and then he, he asked me, Dad, do you want to hold her? And I said, yeah, of course. And, and so I put her in my arms, and I just felt like this sense of awe, this sense of wonder. And and looking at her, and she's just so tiny and so fragile and so vulnerable. And then as we were as we left, I remember talking to Sheila, and I said, 
You know, this is how Jesus came. Jesus came as a baby. I mean, I know we know that, like, like we know that because we have that, like, like Tim mentioned, Merry Christmas, we, we sort of acknowledge that on Christmas, we celebrate the baby Jesus, He came as a baby, we acknowledge that, but have you actually stopped to really consider that Jesus came this way? Have you ever meditated on the fact that, that what it means for human history and the sanctity of human life, that Jesus came as a baby? It's incredibly and profoundly important that we, we actually see this because it speaks so much into what we believe, especially in the sanctity of life, that Jesus was born in a womb. Uh, the birth of Jesus is by far the most important birth in the history of the world. History is actually divided by this. Uh, B.C. and A.D., before Christ and Adonami, the year of the Lord. Everything revolves literally around the birth of this man named Jesus. And my goal for today would be to summarize what we believe about Jesus regarding, in particular, the incarnation of Jesus, the essentials of the incarnation. Now, if you've never heard of the word incarnation, let me first answer that question. What does incarnation mean? Well, the word is Latin, right? And in the land of taco shops, we know what carne is, right? What is it? Meat, right? And so, in the sense, uh, so incarnation means God came in meat, or what the Bible says, God came in the flesh. And so we can think taco shops, now that they re reveal the glory of God, and, and you could think Jesus' birth every time you eat a carne asada taco. And now if you're not a meat eater, and I'm grossing you out right now, I'm so sorry, but, but the first, this is the first essential belief that we want you to write down in your notes. Number one is this. That we believe in the incarnation, that is, Jesus, who is God, came into human history in the flesh as a man. Now, what, what we're not saying is this, that, that, uh, that a human became God. We, we learned in uh, uh, the second or third sermon in this series that this was the temptation that Satan uh, 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 tempted Eve with, right? This was the lie that he sown, that he told our parents in the garden that they can become like God. They can become gods. And some religions today, like Mormonism, still perpetuate this. That, that if you do well in their religion, that you will become a god, and you will be a god over your own planet one day. This is still being perpetuated, that humans can become god. That's not what we're saying here. What we're saying here is that, not that someone became god, but, but God became someone. God became a human being. And this is the fulfillment of the first promise that God gave us in Genesis 3. Now, we've been following Genesis throughout the, this whole series, right? And so in Genesis 1 and 2, we looked at the fact that God created everyone and everything. And then we sinned against God and separating ourselves from God, experiencing this physical and spiritual death as a result of that. And then in Genesis 3, we see the first promise of Jesus. We see the first promise of the Savior. God preaches 4,000 years before Christ's birth about the incarnation. And here's what he said to Satan after sin entered into human history. It's up on the screen here. I will put enmity between you and your woman, between her offspring and your, and, and your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and he shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3 15. So God is saying that I'm sending someone who will come in the line of this woman, Eve, 
to do battle with Satan, and he will battle with Satan, and, and Satan will physically hurt him, think the cross, but he will ultimately destroy Satan and his plan to overthrow God. The Old Testament then moves forward in, in awaiting the fulfillment of that promise. And all of the covenants that we talked about last week that God made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, David, would all find their fulfillment in the coming of Jesus in the flesh. The Old Testament prophecies would, would give us some clues on what to expect and, and what to look for. And so Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and, the birth, and birth, give birth to a son, so those are the two clues. One is a virgin, one is a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The Old Testament believers would look to these things to, to look for the coming of the Messiah. So it would be not only a son, but a miraculous birth. And this birth would have to be miraculous. It would have to be divine to take place because Jesus could not be conceived of two sinful, naturally sinful human beings. Because he had to be born without a sin nature to die a perfect death and obedient. And that's super vitally essential for our belief. We believe that Jesus was a miracle born of a virgin. Jesus was born the sinless Son of God. And then we learn the location where Jesus would be born from the prophet Micah 700 years before the birth of Christ. Listen to what it says. It says, but you, Bethlehem, and I'm not going to try to even pronounce that though you were small among the clans of judah out of you out of you will come for me the one who will rule over israel whose origins are from the old from ancient times and so we're looking for a virgin a son from a virgin from the town of bethlehem which is a very rural small unsuspecting town and, and we go why, why why is that a big deal and i always say thank barstow like, like Jesus being born in Barstow, it's that place where you stop and eat Del Taco and take a pee before you go to, to Vegas, right? And, and, and that's where you stop. Barstow is this small, tiny, dumpy, rural town. Bethlehem was just the same. And so we're looking for a son to be born from a mother who is a virgin who will be born in Bethlehem. And then in Malachi 3, the final book of the Old Testament, 400 years before the birth of Jesus, this prophecy was given. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. This is key, temple. The, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So now the messenger here that Malachi is prophesying about is none other than Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. Another important fact is that temple part that Malachi is referencing to the temple that was destroyed in 70 A.D. And so we, we get these clues now. Uh, the, there, hasn't, there hasn't been a temple ever since, and this means that Jesus would have to have come prior to 70 A.D. And so we have four facts. Jesus would be a son. He would be born of a virgin, miraculously born of a virgin, in the town of Bethlehem and before 70 A.D. And so how do we come to, how did the incarnation, how did God coming in the flesh happen? Well, we read about this in the opening scriptures, in our opening scriptures today in Matthew. And if you're a Christian, again, you're going to be very familiar with these verses. But, but I'm constantly beating the drum that, that 
I, I need you to remember the extraordinary nature of the Bible, what the Bible says about Jesus. Sometimes we can become so familiar with these verses that we cease to be amazed by the fact that God came and humbled Himself and took on flesh. Again, this is the most important birth in the history of the world. In the history of the world. For non-Christians, we love you. We're glad you're here or listening or or watching online. And, And if you are, I'm really excited to tell you about the God who became a man and His name is Jesus. So with your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus took place this way. When His mother, Mary, came to be... Uh, and had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now this is crazy, right? So, now emotionally, ladies, I want you to go with me here for a moment. So Mary here is a teenage girl, somewhere in between 13 and 15 years of age, and, and she loves God, she is a virgin, she saves herself for marriage, she is engaged to this man named Joseph, and so what do you think is on the top thing on her mind? What is on her mind? You can participate. It's her wedding. Like, this is what she's thinking about. She's thinking about her wedding day. She's making lists of the guests, and she's organizing the event. This is going to be a week-long thing that happens. It's really uh, pointed and, and, and detailed. Uh, she, she's undergoing fittings for her dress and everything that she's going to wear, and that's where she's at emotionally. This is going to be a wonderful day for her. She met this man named Joseph, and he loves God, and he loves her, and they are preparing, families are preparing for their wedding. Now, for the ladies here and and listening, uh, try to remember what it was like leading up to your wedding day. There was so much planning and preparing, wasn't it? We just had a wedding here last weekend. It was beautiful, and there was a lot of planning and preparing going on in that. This is where Mary is at. Her wedding day is approaching, and she's very excited. And then she is found to be with child. She's pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Just imagine how shocking this was. What were you doing when you were 13, 14, 15? And then this is the news that you hear. Mary, you were going to be pregnant. You were pregnant with a child from the Holy Spirit. You see, in, in, in this day, a woman would be disgraced and maybe even put to death for committing adultery. And, and betrothal was their version of an engagement. So legally, it was so legally binding that to get out of it, you would have to go through a legal divorce. And then you would be the, the whoever is the guilty party would have that mark on them for the rest of their life. And so what was David, or what was Joseph to do? Let's look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And so guys, I need you to go with me now here with Joseph. So he loves God, he loves her, he believes that that she is a virgin. He's probably not even laid a hand on her up to this point, not even maybe even kissing. Uh, and, and, And now she's pregnant. Could you even imagine that, that you would even give thought to believing that she didn't betray you? The girl of his dreams has now become a nightmare. And she's pregnant with a child. And rather than putting her to shame, which says a lot about Joseph, or potentially putting her to death, 
he, he, he resolves to divorce her quietly and leave her dignity intact and, and find a way of just getting out of this very painful situation. And then look what happens, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, son, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This angel saying, Joseph, this is a miracle that is happening, and you are now God of God, you are now part of God's plan for redeeming the world. Joseph, this is a miracle. The Old Testament is now being fulfilled in your fiance's womb. That's incredible news. And could you imagine the pressure upon Joseph right now? This guy was under a ton of pressure. Like he is being asked, think about this, to adopt the son of God. Like I want you to be his dad and I want you to marry this single mom. I want you to do that, Joseph. And so here he is, this adoptive father of Jesus. And if you're adopted here today, you're in good company because you're in the company of Jesus. And Jesus is essentially was adopted by Joseph. And, and the angel goes on, listen to this. He says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Like you're being part of God's redeeming work, Joseph. You are, you're, you're, fiance's womb is carrying the savior of the world behold behold all this took place to to fulfill what the lord had said to the prophet behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name emmanuel which means god with us and then when joseph woke up he did as the angel of the lord commanded him he took his wife but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name jesus and so what we see here is this encounter with the angel, and he, he sees that he's got this big epic thing happening in their life, that he's part of the redeeming of the world, that he is going to adopt this son and take care of him and raise him, and he, immediately he turns to obedience. He does what he says, Jesus is born, and he has the authority as his adopted dad to give him the name, and he calls him Jesus. Joseph was a stand-up guy. He was a dignified man. He, he served God faithfully, and he obeyed the Lord. He married this single mother. He adopted Jesus, and he raised him. And, and, and then we see in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus was born in, a, in the town of Bethlehem, just as predicted. You see, they called for a census for tax purposes. Anybody fill out their census this year, 2020? Right? It's probably the only good thing that might happen in 2020. I'm just going to say that. Right? If you fill out your census, we get tax benefits in our cities. Right? And so the same thing was happening here. And, and David was from the line of, of David, which him and, and Mary ended up in Jerusalem because that was the hometown of his descendant, David. They had to go to their hometown to register. And so this resulted in God's providential timing of Mary give, giving birth to Jesus in the town of Bethlehem at the, just the right time, fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies, just as we had discovered. So the next essential thing that, that, that we want, the truth that we believe is this, is that we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Uh, now, when we say essential belief, we want you to hear closed-handed. These are things that we hold so tight to that we're not going to argue over. If somebody says Jesus was only a man, that's where we separate. 
when he says that he was fully divine and not a man, that he was some supernatural ghost or, or some, uh, some epiphany or appearance of God. No, we're saying God is Jesus was fully God and fully man. It's a great mystery that the church has wrestled with. And, and they, they issued something called the Chalcedonian Creed in, in 451 AD. And they came up with this concept called hypostatic union. Now, now I'm getting super nerdy on you. I'm getting affected by Pastor Dave, right? But it means that Jesus was one person with two natures, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And this is important because, because no other religious leader uh, in, in the history of the world ever claimed that they were God and proved it. Now, there has been a handful of a short list of people who have uh, said that they were God, but they were actually cult leaders and they were very, very dangerous. They led people astray. Jesus, on the other hand, and, and the reason that we have a few billion Christians on earth today worshiping Him as God is, is because He is God. And, and it's not something that we made up. It's something that actually He stated over and over and over again. And this is super important because the first of the Ten Commandments is what? God asks us, God tells us and commands us to worship the only true God, the one true God of the Bible. And by saying his God, Jesus is either telling the truth or he is a blasphemous liar who should be put to death. And in fact, Jesus was tried and convicted for blasphemy because he kept saying he was God. One example comes from John 10, uh, verses 12. 30 to 33, says, he's, Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. And the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are stoning you. We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus kept saying that he was God. He was arrested and put to death for declaring himself to be God. He never recanted from that. Listen, if I'm going to be a heretic and tell you that I am God, that right when they bust out the whip and the cat of nine tells us when I'm going, okay, I lied. <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't, I'm just kidding. I was just trying to start a cult. But, but, but it was, I am not God. You're right. Okay, just send me to jail. I'll go spend my days out three cots and a hot, right? I would, I would, that's when I would recant my statement. But Jesus never did. Now, we've been also covering John chapter 1 pretty heavily through this series. And this is another important section of Scripture that illuminates the incarnation of Jesus as fully God and fully man. It, it, it is written by Jesus' dearest friend. Jesus called him the Beloved. right? A man named John who was one of the disciples. John saw all the miracles. He saw the death. He saw the burial. He saw the resurrection. He was an eyewitness to every bit of it. He was the last of the living disciples. He saw all his other disciples die murderous deaths and never recanted that Jesus was God. They tried to murder John time and time again. They boiled him alive in oil, and by a miracle of God's grace, he lived through it. And then they exiled him to a prison because he kept saying that Jesus is God and he resurrected from the dead. And so they put him in this prison in Patmos, which is modern-day Turkey. He lived to a ripe old age. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the book of Revelation, and also the Gospel of John, which we have been referencing through here. And he never, never, never recanted his statement about God, even when he faced immense persecution. 
And in doing so, it was, it was interesting what he did. He was bringing two cultures together that were predominant in his day when he wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, on one hand, there, we had the Jewish culture, and they had a concept of the Word. They, they knew that God's Word was, was preeminent and it was powerful. They, they understood Genesis 1. When God spoke, He created things. Like Things came into being when He spoke, that, that God's Word was powerful. They understood that, 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 that the Jews believed the prophet Isaiah when, when God said through the prophet this. He says, My word that goes out of my mouth will not return empty, but will, will accomplish what I desire to achieve, the purpose for which I sent it. The Jews believed it. They believed in the power and the, of God's word and the promise of God's word to be true. And likewise, the other culture that was predominant in, in that day was the Greek culture. And they were all, all philosophical in orientation. They got Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and Alexander the Great. Uh, proceeding those guys, they traced their history back to a philosophy, back to a man named Hercules. And he predated those philosophers. He was so powerful that they put him on the Greek coin. And he said the most important, essential, powerful thing in the world is the Word of God. In Latin, it was Logos, right? And so he would say the Logos created, the, the Logos is holding the world together. The Logos uh, uh, reconciled the realm of the spirit and the realm of the physical. And people looked up to him. They revered this man. So what John is doing, is in, in, he is taking the concept of the Word, the Logos, and in doing so, he is he's taking the essence of the, the Jewish thinking and the essence of the Greek philosophy, and he's combining them, and, and he's doing so in such a way. Now, you've got to remember, Scripture is inspired, and so God is trying to reach a people. And so he gives John these words to write this gospel in such a way so that he can together introduce Jesus, the Son of God, the living Word that came and took on flesh to everyone in their culture. To everyone, not just the Jews, but the Jews and the Greeks. And so understanding that, I want to read to you John 1 again. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Do you hear the, the, the traces of Greek in here? And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life that was the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. There has been a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light. That, and here's, that's a reference to creation. Jesus created, spoke, let there be light, and there was light. Right, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, reference to the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But all, but listen, here's the all-inclusive gospel. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, Jewish descent, right? Not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen the glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What a powerfully packed gospel message right here in the first 14 verses of John's gospel. 
it's not it's so cool jesus is fully god fully man who came into human history in the flesh to live a life without sin to save the world jews and greeks and everyone else alike isaiah said that jesus had no beauty in him like you wouldn't even recognize him on the street that that he looked very normal he was a regular looking guy he had a mother he was born he had to learn how to walk and read and write it's fascinating Luke 2.42 says that he grew in favor and statue and wisdom with the men and with God. So Jesus had friends. He was betrayed, no doubt. He was happy. He was sad. He was fully human. And never lost his divineness either. It's the great mystery of our faith, but again, it only occurs in Jesus. There's no other person who is fully God and fully human. The last essential belief, number three in your Uh, insert is this. We believe that Jesus came as a missionary and we are to follow His example. Now this is very central to what we believe here at Encounter Church. That it is actually central to everything that I, I teach and I write. I'm always constantly talking about how we are to be like Christ and that we are to be missionaries. And, and, and God is a missionary and He sends us to be missionaries in our culture too. Just like John the Baptist was a missionary and he reached multiple people and was inspired to write the way he wrote, we too are to be missionaries and be in our culture. Now the culture that Jesus lived in before he was born on earth was very different from the one that he came into, wasn't it? Jesus came off his throne, he humbled himself, he physically entered into human history through a womb, a young virgin, and, and, he, became, and he came as a man. In doing so, he went from one culture to another. He went from glory to humility. Jesus went to a throne, from a throne to a manger. Jesus went from honor to dishonor. He went from extravagance and worship to poverty and being ignored. He entered into human history as a missionary, entered into a culture. He contextualized. He came into a culture with people speaking a language, eating a certain food, wearing certain clothes, celebrating certain holidays, reading certain books. It's a, this is essential to our beliefs because we, he gives us an example here of how we are to live our lives in our culture. We need to contextualize, getting to know the world, not being of the world, but in the world, and being students of the world, that we can bring the truth of God to the world. And so Jesus is a missionary And he became a missionary. He did not cease to be God again. He was still fully God and fully man. And this means that Jesus retained all of his rights and all of his divine attributes, but he did not continually avail himself to it. And, and, here's, and here's this example. Paul writes this. He says, have this mind among yourselves. He's like, here's the model I want you to focus on. Here's the model. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now having this mind among yourselves, I want you to be like Jesus. I want you to also empty yourself. I want you to humble yourself. 
And I want you to be obedient unto death. I want you to not to count equality of being a Christian a thing to be grasped. I just want you to share the goodness that Jesus came with your neighbors. Jesus should have been worshipped, not cursed and spat upon. But He let that go. Jesus should have been paraded around as a king, not despised and rejected. But He let that go. Jesus should have been obeyed and not disobeyed, but He let that go. Jesus let go all of His rights. And He humbled Himself. He was poor. He was homeless. He was single. He didn't experience the many pleasures that, and possessions that you and I do. He gave it all up. The Word says He became nothing. He sets aside His rights and, and, and takes on the form of a servant. Deep down, do you, do you want a, a God who is, who is humble? Yes. Do you want a God who is graceful? Yes. Do you want a God who is willing to suffer for you and I to prove His love for you? Yes. You want a God who can relate, who, who gave up His divine attributes so that He could relate and be tempted as we were, but yet without sin, so that we can run to Him in our times of weakness, and, and we know that God is going to understand our weakness and give us what we stand in need of to overcome those things. He, Jesus can identify with us, and He did that by humbling Himself. Can we identify with our neighbors right now? Even the ones we don't like. When we humble ourselves and realize who we are without Christ and who we are with Christ, it's a humbling thing. It's a humbling thing because we are, are, are sinners and we deserve hell, Satan, death. We, we deserve all that, but God had mercy on us. When we look at the world today that is so polarized and divided, do we see them as a person who God loves? A lot like you. And do we see this as an opportunity to be more like Christ, to empty ourselves of our, of our preoccupations or, or our judgments or our, our, our thoughts about them? And to humble ourselves and to give ourselves over to them in love and service and care. This is what Jesus did. There's no one like Him. He came in human form, fully divine, fully man. He humbled Himself and the only way, that's the only way to be humble, is to humble yourself. You can pray for humility, but if you don't humble yourself, you won't do it. Jesus humbled himself, and no one could take his rights away, no one could take his glory. He gave it all up for us. He gave it all up to the worship and to the glory of the Father. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And He's calling us to the same call here. In, in, in 2020, where it's just so absolutely mind-blowing crazy, I think it is the time is ripe for the harvest. That, that the light shines darkest or brightest in these dark places. And we need the, the birth of Christ is the light that came into the world. And no more than now, than ever before, people need to hear that there's hope. That there is eternal, lasting hope, and His name is Jesus. And His name is Jesus. This is the hope that we have. And do we walk around like we have this hope? Do we walk around like we have the answer? Do we do that? And this is the call for us. As Paul speaks here of the cross, Jesus went there. He's not just an example, but He's our substitute. 
that we, we, we and we're going to deal with this more thoroughly in, next, in the coming weeks, but, but here's what happened, that our God became a man. Our God lived without sin, that He was tempted in every way as you and I are, Hebrew 4 says, and yet He did it without sin. And then He went to the cross, willingly took upon Himself our sins and endured our punishment and penalty that we rightly deserved for our sins. And through Jesus, we get what John calls grace upon grace. You see, Christianity is not a religion. Religion is about what you can do for God. Christianity is about Jesus and what He has done for us. It's totally different. It's it's better than religion because religion either leads you to two places, either pride or despair. You can try hard, and if you do good, it's going to lead you to pride and arrogance because you, and it's not being humble like Jesus. Like, I got this. And what you've actually done is you've, you've, you've figured out your own list of to-dos that you can do, and you think that you're good enough to do it. Or if you fail to live up to those expectations, you're grieved and sad because you're not good enough for God. Jesus alone gives us, listen to this, Jesus alone gives us joy and humility. Humility knowing that we can't save ourselves and joy knowing that when He said it was finished on the cross, it was. It was finished. And this is why we love Jesus so much here. This is because sin is real. Judgment is real. The cross and the resurrection is real. And He takes away our sins. He forgives sinners and He reconciles us back to God. And this is why we love Jesus. Because there's nothing we can do to obtain this. This is this gift that He gives us. So where is Jesus now? Um, Philippians 2.9 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the na- at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Today Jesus is highly exalted. He is alive and highly exalted. Revelation Repeatedly, the book of Revelation repeatedly says he's seated on the throne, ruling and reigning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords over all nations. Listen to this: over all genders, over all races, over all socioeconomic backgrounds, over all political parties, over all sexual preferences, over every job, all of, over everything that exists. He rules and reigns over everyone and everything. Do you believe that today? He does. He does, but does He rule and reign in everything that we believe in today? And can we trust Him there? He is high and exalted. He is back in the position where He was prior to coming to earth as a baby. And then Philippians says, Paul writes, that His name is above every name. Every name. Boy, you need to hear that today. He's above my name. He's above your name. He's above the name of Encounter Church. He's above the name of of Republican or Democrat. He is above the name of of race and and Black Lives Matter. He's above the name of of, of socioeconomics. He's above the name of politics and and, and laws and everything that's going on. He's above the name of every proposition. He's above the name of Bellflower. He's above the name of California. He's above the name of the United States and the world. You believe that today? Then say amen. Because if he is ruling and reigning, if he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, then we have hope. Right? We have hope in this season, which seems really out of control. He, he, his name is above COVID-19. It's above it. He's above it. He's Lord and King over it. And He's going to use it for His glory, I guarantee you. Because His promises are true. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every 
tongue will confess. Our hope is and goal is, is that our joy is to live out and make much of the name of Jesus. This is what we want to do here at Encounter. Christians are, are people who, who are willing to bend a knee to submission and humility to the one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And our hope and prayer is that you would come to your senses, that I would come to my senses, and that we would understand and we would acknowledge that our sin is real and, and God's wrath and judgment is real, but His love and His grace and His mercy are equally real. And it's powerful. And the Holy Spirit is moving today. And since we're all going to bend a knee to Jesus one day, wouldn't it be most prudent that you and our neighbors and our friends and our loved ones do that prior to his returning. Some of you might say that God has no right to judge me and hell seems kind of cruel. But let me reiterate and just kind of wrap this, summarize this whole thing up about God's love for you. God came, God promised that he was going to come. God, God came as a man. He was humble. He became a servant. He endured temptation. He suffered. He died. God was willing, God is willing to forgive anyone for anything. He is good, and He proved it through Jesus. He loves us, and He proved it through Jesus. And only a fool, only a fool would reject His hand of friendship. And our hope and prayer today is that you, <clears throat> that we would all be focused deeply on the person and the work of Jesus, and, and to perhaps literally bend a knee and raise your voice to demonstrate the posture as we declare with great passion that Jesus Christ is my Lord. That He is my King. He came in the flesh. He came to rescue me. And that's the only thing that matters. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that we would all have with great clarity and passion an understanding of who You are, Jesus. The person and the work of Jesus. Like God, You became a man. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your humility. We thank You that You became a servant to serve those who rejected You. Lord Jesus, Your name is truly above every single name. And Your throne is above every throne. And You give from that place, oh man, grace upon grace. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would turn from our sin to, and trust in You. That for those who do not know You, Lord Jesus, I pray that they would become Christians today that you would, they would bend their knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And I pray for us who have been Christians for a while, and maybe have heard this message so many times, that, it would, that maybe it ceased to capture our hearts. And Lord, would you just set our hearts aflame to this message once again? Reignite some passion in us, some understanding and some more clarity about who Jesus' name is. And may we declare it to those who need Him so desperately. Father, thank You for this time that we get to spend together. Jesus, thank You that You came in the flesh. Holy Spirit, now I, invite, I ask that You just take our hearts and let us bend a knee and sing aloud, Jesus Christ is Lord. In His name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org.